Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Shalom Leyudim, Shalom Lebenei Noach, Shalom Legoyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Yud B'chodesh Shvat, Parashas B'Shanach, Tavshin Pei Beis, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 11th January 2022. You're listening to the program program, webcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from post-Zionist Israel. And what is post-Zionism? This podcast will explain and confront the sad truth that the leftists and other secularists who led the Yishuv, the Jewish community living here in 1948, into statehood and led the people for the first generation as admirable as they were, are long gone and also inflicted in their last years on Israelis the satanic violence of their catastrophic hostile peace process, so-called, whose evil afflicts us to this very day. The Oslo process that the Zionist left put this people through was their attempt at turning us into a normal people. In 1993, the whole world watched as Rabin in Paris on the White House lawn shook the hands of Arafat, uh, dripping with innocent Jewish blood, and Abbas, the Holocaust-denying moron. Watching the ceremony on TV, yours truly was never so ashamed to be a Jew. And Rabin and Paris, no self-respect, shaking the hands of Arafat, that anti-Semitic, sociopathic, Nazi-loving butcher of Jews, that Muslim pervert with his harem of boy toys. Uh, since last podcast, the post-Zionist government's enforcers in the border police have been harassing Jews living on uninhabited land, uh, dispossessing no putatively primeval Palestinian in what the Israeli MSM calls the West Bank. And I ask, could there be any lower act of self-abasement than a Jew using the term West Bank? Uh, at Auschwitz, you know, the Goyim effaced our human names and, and burnt serial numbers into our flesh. Imagine a Jew at Auschwitz so deranged by the nightmare he was living in, he forgot his own name and called himself by the serial number burnt into his arm. Last week, the Knesset voted to surrender to the land grab by the Muslims of our land in this tiny country. The uh, opposition shouted shame at Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who lost his cool, embarrassing himself, uh, his anger and menace unintentionally exposing his own unspoken recognition. His critics were right. Last week, we were once again uh, treated to another example as well of uh, Yair Golan's pathological need to conflate religious Jews with Nazis. This former deputy chief of staff, heaven help us, and we'll get started after the following message from Israel News Talk Radio. Israel is located in one of the most volatile areas in the world. Israel is an island of stability and a sea of war and unrest. In the midst of this turmoil, Israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress. Each week we update you on what's happening in this, the Jewish state, a true light unto the nations. This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio.
שלום ליהודים, שלום לבני נוח, שלום לגויים. It's the evening of the fourth day, י' בחודש שבט, פרשס בשלח, תשפ"ב, 5782, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 11 January 2022, you're listening to the program program. Webcasting on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from post-Zionist Israel. Yeah, since my uh, last uh, podcast a week ago on this site, it's been a great week for Israel's post-Zionists. And for those who are not familiar with the term, a little historical background. Zionism, as opposed to Judaism, was a single-minded movement bent on creating a Jewish-majority state because the Jews in Europe, after a century of emancipation, citizenship they had in European countries as never before, they were still hated and abused, discriminated against. For example, in Germany, Jews were desperate there to be accepted, and they uh, ran to the uh, local church's baptismal font in great numbers because citizenship or no, they were still the object of scorn and discrimination uh, in certain professions. One had to swear belief in the Trinity to be a member. Other Jews, not happy with the torrent of Jews doing that, uh, thought that uh, if they modernized Jewishness, they, they wouldn't have to convert. Should, they should make it less foreign, uh, less alien, and then they would be accepted. In practice, this reformation meant uh, blotting out Jewishness. <laughs> uh, no more side curls, no more refraining from eating pigs, no more going to a synagogue, a word that Gentiles associated with Jews in them plotting their nefarious schemes so the reformers would gather in a temple, no longer a synagogue. And this name would also uh, communicate to their German neighbors that unlike all Jews in history who prayed daily to return to the land of Israel and build the third temple in Jerusalem, they had no interest in that. Not the reformers. They were saying, our temple is right here, right here in Deutschland. It's our Vaterland, you know. Reform Judaism explicitly abandoned the very idea of Jewish nationhood. Judaism was uh, reconfigured a philosophy that had no connection to nationality. Following the end of the Napoleonic Wars, there was a major reaction uh, to the progressive ideas of the French Revolution that Napoleon tried to force down everybody's throats, which included uh, turning stateless Jews uh, into citizens. He made them citizens in his empire if they denationalized was his condition. Uh, the reaction to uh, making him, them citizens included uh, renewed hostility to the Jews, which ignited the flight of thousands of them to go to the local church and get baptized. In 1818, uh, baby Karl Marx was born. Six years later, he was taken to a church by his father and baptized, a uh, father who baptized himself as well, not because Jesus had come into his heart, but because his spirit was later expressed by his son, who declared all religion the opiate of the masses. His father thought that Judaism was nonsense and uh, Christianity was nonsense. But he converted. Uh, Marx's contemporary, Charles Darwin, uh, also had the chattering classes believing he had proved that uh, the Torah, the Torah of the Jews, to be a fabrication. German philosophers in early 19th century, like Immanuel Kant, they started to go off the uh, Christian path, and by the end of the century, Friedrich Nietzsche was adamant that uh, Christianity was nonsense. He openly sneered at it. And it was in this post-religious atmosphere that Zionism came to life because the emancipation had failed. 
after a century, it was still clear the Jews were the outcast of the nations, uh, and nothing had changed in that regard. In place of the Christian deicide lie, anti-Jews came up with anti-Semitism, because they could no longer hate Jews for killing the Christ when they themselves no longer believed Jesus was Christ. They solved the problem by rebranding the Jewish nation, once thought to be scattered to the four wings of the earth, pining to go home, they transformed them into a race, which is a biological condition that is also immutable. Throughout Christian history, Muslim history, to save your life, sometimes you went, underwent a fake conversion in order to survive, live another day, escape, and resume living as a Jew. Uh, with the new vision of Jews as a race, there was no more any escape. And fake conversions would no longer work. Uh, also, the new Gentile idea uh, was a way of responding to what they knew to be true, that so many of the conversions were insincere. So the emancipation had failed, uh, and the dishonest verbal illogic of, the, of anti-Semitism was invented. I mean, the word makes no sense, because first there has to be Semitism for there to be anti-Semitism when there never was such a thing. Post-Christian Jew caters could no longer hate Jews religiously, so anti-Semitism was made up. Not a word about the religion or God in these anti-Semitic texts written at the time. Hitler's Mein Kampf, uh, which I read halfway through, uh, was Hitler's imitation of a university professor explicating history and economics and anthropology and race theory. Mein Kampf was basically dictated by Hitler in a prison cell to Rudolf Hess in the 1920s. They were both serving for sedition in that decade. And then in the 1930s, when Hitler seized power, uh, the book became the country's number one bestseller. The ravings of this crackpot, this pseudo-intellectual slave of his hatred of Jews. The Zionists predated the rise of Nazism, Hitler, uh, by a generation. At first, anti-Semitism had nothing to do with the mass murder of Jews physically exterminating us. It took a while before anti-Semitism degenerated into mass murder. For the first few years, when it uh, was a popular topic of conversation at polite dinner parties in Europe, how to handle the Jews, do we expel them, try to reform them? Some argued Jews were so racially incompatible with European races there was no hope of living with them. Others thought it was possible to de-Judaize us and teach us to become civilized men and women. The Zionists in this atmosphere wanted a refuge from European anti-Jewism, uh, without ever aspiring to create a religious refuge. Theirs was not a yearning for Jerusalem, but for Zion, and they are not identical. I advertise no expertise in this matter, but I have heard that the real Mount Zion, not today's, where there's a parking lot where I park my car, uh, uh, but uh, the Temple Mount, that's the real Mount Zion, and how the name shifted uh, from one to the other uh, need not concern us right now, only that it, it's, it's significant that the Zionists call themselves that. They didn't see themselves as uh, the Jewish Templars, Jews wanting to build the third and final temple. This was a political movement, not a religious one, in which many of its mo most important players were not only not religious, they sneered at religion. Read Leonius's great success, Exodus, in which he sneers at the rabbis that he blamed for tolerating the abuse of Jews. Significantly, no less, 
in his historical romance, the love interest in this story, is between Ali ben Kanan, the sobri hero, and an American Gentile nurse. Leon Uris himself did not contribute to coming generations of Jews because he married a Gentile too. Once on America's uh, Tony PBS TV channel, I saw Shimon Peres, the, the National Village idiot, being interviewed. This was in early 1993 when, in secret, that no one knew at the moment, he had detailed Dr. Joseph Bailey, Ph.D., to shake hands with Arafat and begin the what became the abominable Oslo peace process. You know, Arafat, the anti-Semitic Egyptian Muslim brother terrorist butcher of Jews who pretended to be a Palestinian nationalist, uh, that uh, pose Perez fell for, as did Rabin and all the others. Perez said to the interviewer that the purpose of Zionism was the normalization of the Jewish people. And that can only mean stripping the Jewish people of our unique religion with its beliefs and behaviors. What are the Jews without being the, uh, the owners of the Torah? So to return to the beginning when I said it was, it was a great week for the post-Zionists, I had those two men in mind who invented uh, the expression coterminous with the Oslo abomination, post-Zionism, the abomination of shaking hands with the greatest Jew killer since Hitler, which warmed the cockles of the hearts of anti-Jew Gentiles and Jews alike. That handshake meant the Zionist enterprise was over. Finally, success. The ancient Palestinians, the victims of the Zionist movement, had finally come around to respecting the right of Al-Yehud to live free in their own state, after they return all the Arab land they stole in 1967, close quote. And it came to pass that the post-religious in Israel announced Zionism is now over. It's no longer necessary to build homes for Jews. We, we have enough now, and we can return all the land we took in the Six-Day War. That was the Oslo abomination. Israel's leftist elite declared the end of Zionism, and so they no longer should cons be considered Zionists by the world, they were now post-Zionists, when what they really meant was now Israel was no longer the outcast of the nations for not respecting the right of the ancient ones of Palestine to their own state in Palestine, and never mind these uh, Arabs are in truth not native to Palestine. They're so not native they can't even pronounce the name of the country properly. Tamar Yona Show. Tamar? She's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. So, uh, as I said at the opening, it was a great week in Israel for the post-Zionists. For example, last Wednesday... In the Knesset, the post-Jews voted not to hold the larcenous Bedouin outlaws to account for squatting on Jewish land. In 1948, uh, there were 650,000 Jews here and 15,000 Bedouins squatting in the Negev. But since theirs is a polygamous culture, which is a major explanation for their barbarism and Jew hatred, this herd of sub-civilized Bedouin have ballooned to the tune of 280,000 of them, all of them with no legal connection to Israel's electricity grid and its water system, uh, which they steal, uh, guiltlessly, of course. And Israel has been too busy to uh, even deal with this burgeoning occupation by enemy Arab Muslims. Enemies because they are Muslims and because they are Arabs, for whom theft triggers no guilt. The Knesset voted to connect all these squatters uh, to Israel's electricity and water systems instead of asserting Israel's resistance to this theft of our land. And one reason for the passivity is the absence of any emotion in religionless Israelis for the land, like today's Defense Minister Benny Gantz, its Foreign Minister Yahir Lapid, its Health Minister Nitzan Horowitz, all of whom are on record pledging allegiance to the two-state solution, which is the antithesis of Zionism. Zionism asserted, shamelessly, guiltlessly, the right of the Jewish nation to own and rule in this tiny country, which at the time was a barren wasteland, whose resurrection by Jews would displace no other nation. In 1897, first Zionist conference, uh, Congress in Basel, Switzerland, uh, there was at that time no recognized jurisdiction on any map on the planet called Palestine. Palestine at the time was a name like Atlantis, lost in the mists of time. Atlantis did not exist, uh, nobody knew where it was, and neither did Palestine exist. All maps current in 1897 showed no such country. And encyclopedias at the time with articles on Palestine uh, did show a map, but it was the classical map, according to the Torah. A sampling of these maps is in my book, which proves that the classic map of Palestine, not to be confused with the dishonest one drafted by the League of Nations in the 1920s, today that classic map is cut up and shared by four states, each with a piece of the classic map, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Israel with the Arabs in possession of 53% of that map. You got that? At this very moment, and for decades, the Arabs, in their ignorance of this country, have not known that they occupy 53% of the classic map. And no one has stopped them from handing their 53% over to the so-called Palestinians. They are no less than Israel, occupiers of Palestine. In any case, Israel's government these days Thanks to the reprehensible liar, Naftali Bennett, uh, it includes the Muslim Brotherhood. So that last Wednesday, 
uh, the government, the Knesset, went down on their knees before the Arabs, these thieves in the south, which behavior can only embolden them. Every time Israel shows weakness, the enemy feels stronger. Simultaneously, the post-Zionists here were no less happy to see border policemen uh, ordered to confiscate building materials at the Chomesh Yeshiva, where Jews have been forbidden by the Jewish government in Jerusalem for 15 years to live, thus acting like a good Gentile government. Throughout our history, Gentile governments told us Jews where we could live and where we could not live, where we had to live, in what ghetto in Europe. And by the way, in Islam, they had ghettos too. They didn't call them ghettos. Uh, one was a Hara in the Maghreb, in the West. Uh, in Yemen, they called it the Qal Yaud, the Jewish quarter. The Negev in the South was handed over to the enemy. In Samaria, Jews today also clashed with border police at Homesh. The forces of law and order are opposed here to Jews living in a place bothering nobody. With today's historically and religiously shallow post-religious Israelis oblivious to the irony of behaving like anti-Semitic Gentiles throughout our history. There were also clashes at the outpost called Oz Zion, Zion, Oz Zion, Power of Zion. That was yesterday. Also border police and, and so-called settlers. And to top it all off last week, a major story was the behavior of the Deputy Minister of the Economy, Yair Golan, who called the Jews living in these outposts subhuman. This is the same deracinated, hysterical Israeli who, as Deputy IDF Chief of Staff, said on Holocaust Remembrance Day in 2016, uh, he insinuated uh, that Israelis were on the verge of acting like Nazis toward his perceived, misperceived Palestinians. I say misperceived because there's nothing perceptibly Palestinian about them. It's a tribute, a cosmic tribute, really, to the power of Jewishness to produce this amazing phenomenon of these Palestinians being the center of attention in the de facto world government, the United Nations, when there's nothing Palestinian about these people. Uh, Palestinian is just a verbal hologram, something that looks like it's there when it isn't. Yesterday, Karen Kayem at the JNF, the Jewish National Fund, founded by none other than Theodor Herzl himself, with the express purpose of buying land for Jews in the land of Israel, at that time still under Turkish rule. Yesterday, Karen Kayemet uh, funded a tree-planting operation in the Negev with Arabs in the ruling coalition protesting this theft of land belonging to the ancient Palestinian Atrash family. An Arab MK with citizenship, Aida Tuma Sliman, said, quote, under cover of planting trees, what is happening is the land theft and violence toward the Arab Bedouin community, close quote. And there was also a threat, though postponed uh, today, if it had been carried out, it would have been a truly great day for the anti-Zionist Jews in the government, like Gantz, Lapid, and Horowitz, who smile on the two-state solution. The plan was to have the border police or the army demolish a Jewish vineyard. Five years ago, if memory serves, Ezra Schwartz of Brookline, Massachusetts, Hashem Yikom Damo, was in Gush Etzion learning, I think, in the, the, the yeshiva, when uh, he was stopped in a traffic jam, I think, and approached by a homicidal Muslim who shot him dead at the wheel. Since then, his grieving family has helped to finance a vineyard in his name in Gush Etzion called Arugot 
a farm. Aguga means like a garden. A project nurtured on the ground by Jeremy Gimpel and others. Uh, today, that vineyard contains thousands of vines that the post-Zionists want to destroy. It was planted on land belonging to no one, a.k.a. it was state land that Israel took in self-defense in 1967 and is under no legal obligation to return, and certainly not when the League of Nations saw it as Jewish land. Still, the post-Zionists in Israel, working in cooperation with the Muslim Brotherhood, members of the government, uh, they were all fixing to destroy these vines. My God, could there be any act less Zionist than this? Any act more anti-Zionist than this? There was to be a demonstration, a protest demonstration, earlier this morning at the site against this wicked plan, which was called off when the post-Zionists were pressured to at least temporarily suspend the demolition. The worst of the post-Zionist Jews here, such as Yair Golan, are simply off the rails in their minds when thinking about Jews, about Israel, about the enemy. Is Golan so uneducated about World War II as not to know that subhuman, untermensch, was a word out of the mouth of Hitler about Jews? His devotees, Hitler's devotees, produced a newsreel footage of swarming rats as the narrator likened Jews to them. Hitler, in the height, or was it the depth of his lunacy, sometimes saw Jews as gigantic microbes with the functionally superhuman ability to shapeshift and appear to be humans who could talk and act like humans. And here is Yair Golan likening Jews who want to study Torah in Samaria uh, as subhuman he is the outlier of the anti-Zionists. They're not all that extreme for sure. But de facto, Benny Gantz, Yair Lapid, they're all ideologically in that same camp by objecting to Jews living in Judea and Samaria because it inhibits handing Judea and Samaria over to the Muslim enemy. It's ironic, isn't it? I think on Wednesday, the so-called electricity bill passed that only not only promised to provide electricity to the Bedouin land thieves in the south, but to provide service to all the Arabs in the north who likewise are not officially hooked up and steal, and they don't pay for their electricity. On my uh, subscriber podcast last week, I titled one of them, quote, Where are the secular Zionists of yesteryear? And the answer, of course, is uh, they no longer exist. Adonai Melech, Adonai Malach, Adonai Melech, Le'olam
Feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared. One man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American Time, 7 a.m. Israeli Time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Are you interested in transforming your life? drawing closer to the Creator, and uncovering the deeper meanings and hidden treasures in the Hebrew Bible? Then join me, Rav Yitzhak Michelson, and me, William Hall, on the Science of Kabbalah, where we are seeking to narrow the gap between what we understand of our physical and spiritual worlds. So make sure to tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Israel Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, here on Israel News Talk Radio. Yeah, the uh, secular Zionists who led the people here into statehood no longer exist. The age of the Sabra Halutzim, the native-born pioneers who came of age during the Arab Revolt in the 1930s and served in Haganah and Palmach in the 1940s and during the War of Independence, it is long forgotten uh, that when they weren't fighting, uh, they were founding settlements exactly like today's national religious Israelis at Chomesh and other outposts. For example, one of the more memorable moments in the middle of the truly first intifada of the 1930s, called then the Arab Revolt, 1936-1939, because no one had told the Arabs here they were the ancient landlords of Palestine. This moment came in March of 1938, in the middle of it, when the Arab leader here was the Grand Mufti in Jerusalem, Hajimin al-Husseini, who said there was no such country as Palestine, one evening in that month, a group of idealistic social Democrats, Zionists, Jews, all, after dark at a staging point in Haifa, these young 20-something men and women piled into trucks with building materials and equipment and headed north to the Lebanese border, reaching the site of today's Kibbutz Chanita, when there was no one living there, uh, not far away were clusters of Arabs, uh, but the idealistic Halutzim uh, overcame their fear. They joked they were driving into the lion's jaw to start building another kibbutz in the middle of the Arabs. And among these 20-somethings were the future heroes of Israel's War of Independence, a, a decade in the future, Moshe Dayan and Yigal Alon. Alon uh, was thought to have the best military mind in their community. Uh, with them, or visiting, was the English Gentile Zionist, Ord Wingate, Christian Zionist, the greatest of them, who at the moment was an officer in British military intelligence in mandatory Palestine, who paid a an approving visit to what they were doing. Gone is the spirit of that generation. Benny Gantz himself grew up on a collective Moshav, a village, just like Moshe Dayan. A predecessor of his is IDF chief of staff, but he and his generation, Benny, know nothing of building settlements. That is for religious Jews these days, and they're not religious. That kind of idealism and self-assurance in the rightness of their cause among the secular Zionists no longer exists, 
that kind of idealism and self-assurance exists only among the national religious community. Without this identity, secular Israelis are lost and adrift. Israel has to. Opposite, this government shamelessly assert full power over the Arabs in the Negev and in Judea and Samaria, and do to those who are violent against us what our religion licenses us to do that secular Israel has never done. For example, last week, the military court in Judea sentenced one Mutasir Shalabi, who murdered 19-year-old Yehuda Gueta last May, Hashem Yikom Demo, in a drive-by shooting at the Tapuach Junction. And this uh, Arab was sentenced to two, count them two, life sentences. And never mind the Alice in Wonderland logic and play here, two life sentences. It's a copycat sentence plagiarized from the uh, worshipped degenerate West. What Israel should have done instead to Mr. Shalabi and many others like him is, is kill him within 24 hours of his crime. I think all Arab murderers, these verified assassins, should be put to death right away. And by the way, my favorite form of execution is hanging. Precisely because killing anyone, even a murderer, is so terrible, people should put as much distance between the deed as themselves. You know, in some firing squads, the practice is uh, to hand out to all the shooters one bullet, one of which is a blank. No one knows which, so that every member of the squad can believe he had the blank and he himself was not responsible for killing a human being, however necessary. What I also like about hanging is that the force applied, uh, as in a, as unlike in a firing squad, which is the human shooter's finger on the trigger, uh, with hanging, uh, we use one of God's creations, gravity. Let gravity do the killing. J-Post reported on this sentence of two life sentences and said, uh, quote, reported, in theory, the IDF West Bank courts, as the J-Post calls Judea and Samaria West Bank courts, they could impose a death sentence, but, uh, which is what the family of Yehuda Gueto had asked for, but in practice, the judges follow the Israeli civilian courts where there has never been such punishment other than for Adolf Eichmann, who was hung, but then most unjewishly, his remains were cremated and the ashes were then sprinkled from an airplane over the Mediterranean Sea. This is what's wrong with Israel, its refusal to fully adopt a truly Jewish identity that would encourage its government to claim Judea and Samaria and to execute murderers within 24 hours of their dastardly crime. I also want mercy, if that's the word, for those not directly involved in Jew killing accomplices to the Jew killers, and that should be expulsion from the country forever. With every expulsion order uh, signed and containing verses from the five books, and there are several in which the Almighty pronounces this country exclusively the property of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not the seed of Abraham and Hagar. Speaking, as I often do, about Israel's defective identity that shapes its foreign policy, uh, this was at the heart of the uh, latest round of an Arab terrorist in prison who goes on a hunger strike. Uh, Israel in the past has knuckled uh, under, and it did so again last week. Fearful of the uh, savages here going on the warpath in another intifada, namely pogroming us uh, if the uh, guy had died. Last Thursday, Mr. Hisham Abu Hawash 
agreed to end his hunger strike after 141 days, which he engaged in to protest his administrative detention, which is a euphemism for basically military rule, which is not civilian. He's an enemy of the state. He's not entitled to all the rights of a citizen in Israel. He agreed to end the strike because Israel agreed to terminate the administrative detention. Uh, Hamas congratulated him on his, quote, victory over the Zionist prisons. He once again demonstrated the ability of the Palestinian people to show resilience and forcibly achieve their victories over Israel, close quote. Sharp-tongued M.K. Bitsalo Smotrish of the Religious Zionism Party said, This is a surrender to terrorism. There is no other way to call it. A government that relies on terrorists has made all of us their hostages, close quote. I remember back in 1981 when Prime Ministress of the U.K., the Iron Lady Margaret Thatcher, let provisional IRA terrorist Bobby Sands starve himself to death in prison. But Israelis lack her iron, in part because of their incomplete identity that prevents them from relating to the Arabs as we should. And this was not the first time Israel has knuckled under to Arab hunger strikers. In May 2012, some 1,550 Arabs ended a hunger strike after being promised numerous goodies, including family visits from relatives living in Gaza and liberating some of them from solitary confinement. And what struck yours truly as never before was the sheer number of these Arabs in our prisons for their participation in potentially lethal anti-Jew violence, some of them guilty of murder. I saw that number and asked myself, what are we, crazy? What are we doing providing free meals a day, free medical care, educational opportunities, all at taxpayer expense, when this huge expense can be eliminated in a flash when Israelis open all prisons, liberate all of them, and expel all from the country. What benefit does Israel receive by threatening these unconsciousless, homicidal Jew, Jew haters as we do? What is the point of riding herd on this herd of wild asses of men? To reform them, make them pay their debt to society and emerge, committed to becoming loyal and productive members of the community, and to refrain in the future from wanting to Jew kill? But what benefit is putting these violent sons of Ishmael in our prisons, taking care of them, feeding them, giving them medicine when needed, if not to show the gentles just how compassionate we are and we are not racists? These terrorists in our prisons are as crazy about Jews as Nazis. They're not citizens, and the most humane response to their barbaric violence against us is expulsion. I say shut down the security prisons, save a lot of shekels, and let every aspiring terrorist murderer of Jews know at random that he will be shot, uh, he will be hung immediately, and those who assist will be expelled with the clothes on their backs. Shai Ben Tekoa, Brother Shai, we crossed paths at the University of Chicago in 67. I had just gotten my Bachelor of Science degree, pre-med biopsychology, and you were in the Divinity School. U of Chicago Hillel was a hangout as well as Delta Upsilon Fraternity. I want you to know that we of South Floridians for the Safety and Security of Israel Institute find that your podcasts, theprogramprogram.com, are really inspiring. You really have gutsy candor, and we say todah rabah. We have monthly pro-Israel rally events at the Miami-Dade College campus, main entrance, 
109th Ave and 104th Street. Eight lanes of traffic, thumbs up, horn honking. People are fired up over the Iran menace and the prospect of nuclear weapons in Iran. Keep up the great work, and thank you so much for your fantastic podcast. Okay, that's it for this edition of Phantom Nation, uh, generously sponsored by Floridians for the Safety and Security of Israel Institute, who will hold a pro-Israel rally this Friday at 4.30 in the afternoon at the entrance to Miami Dade College at 104th Street and 109th Avenue. The music you heard was by Hillel Goldblum and Yossi Azulai. For the full story of uh, how the Muslims invented the Palestinians and the Israeli left, Buy my book, Phantom Nation, in hardcover or Amazon Kindle. It's long, but many say once you start reading, it's hard to put down because it is the best, most truthful, and insightful book ever on the war against Israel. Three other podcasts like this one are also available each week via subscription at www.phantom-nation.com. So, uh, Lila Tov from the OJT, the Occupied Jewish Territories, occupied by the most anti-Semitic and homicidal people in the world, the Muslims. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Morris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.